Broadcasting to the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital in Stanmore. This is Radio Broccoli. You're listening to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli, a 60-minute show talking to patients, health professionals, researchers and fundraisers about our amazing work. The Skeletal Cancer Trust is a charity based here at the RNOH, funding research, providing support and changing lives for people with sarcoma. So my guest today on the SCT Hour is Mr Rob Pollock. Now, Mr Pollock is a consultant orthopaedic surgeon with a special interest in sarcoma. He was appointed as a consultant at the RNOH in 2004. He specialises in hip and knee surgery as well as bone and soft tissue tumours. He's married to another Sarah and they have two young children. He's also a very active trustee of SCT. So welcome, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're only uh, a good bit late on this interview. I think we had it planned before COVID, um, but things sort of got in the way there a little bit. Slightly, yeah. Um, So I think it'd be quite interesting, actually, to start at that point, because I think COVID is the the elephant in the room. Um, And it would be interesting to hear how the hospital has coped and how things have been different for you especially and, and for patients here with sarcoma during during the covid period of time yeah i think the it, it was extremely challenging there were two two waves mainly that affected stanmore the first wave there was a lot of uncertainty we didn't really know how infective how easily transmissible this virus was there was a lot of fear around amongst hospital staff nobody had been vaccinated at that point we didn't know how big the wave was going to be and how long it was going to last for but we knew things were uh, going to be very different here at Stanmore Um, very early on the hospital responded and had a kind of task force uh, and I have to say did an absolutely amazing job at coping with a slightly uncertain situation and prioritised those services that needed to carry on whatever so some of the emergency stuff uh, and obviously cancer surgery you can't just park cancer surgery until covid's finished so we had to work out a way of doing that safely and we also uh, supported other hospitals in the region that were becoming rapidly overrun by covid and so in the first wave we took a lot of their patients with broken bones we you know our skill set is orthopedic surgery so we took a lot of um broken bones that needed surgery patients with broken bones and and um, looked after them here in parallel with doing all the urgent cancer stuff and that seemed to you know go extremely well Um, I have to say the staff in the hospital literally all levels of staff all grades all specialties everybody responded amazingly rolled their sleeves up and just got on with it and got us through the first wave and then last summer of course it got a bit easier and then last winter it all went pear-shaped again yeah and in the second wave again cancer surgery carried on similarly to as it had during the first wave but what was different this time is that the there was a a need for extra itu care in the whole of north london so we converted eight of our operating theatres into intensive care units and um people who were uh, normally doing their normal jobs had to reskill um very quickly and become uh, part of teams they wouldn't normally be part of. So, you know, there were surgeons working on intensive care units, um, nurses and um, physios 
radiographers doing things they wouldn't normally necessarily do. And that's hugely different to the day-to-day that we see here in normal times, isn't it? You know, everybody really had to work in a completely different way. And the common theme was that all the NHS staff um, basically said, yeah, we're, we're keen to work, just tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. And everybody responded extremely well and was uh, doing things not necessarily in their normal comfort zone, but doing anything they could to help. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, I'm at home you know behind my front door worrying about all of you and really you know trying to cheer you all on from the sideline because you know I'm friends with so many of you here and worked with you for so long and it was really hard to be at home and think are they going to be okay you know that last day I left and said goodbye to you all I didn't know what you were heading into and it was really emotional actually to see how you all responded and I think you know from my point of view, working sort of with one foot in the NHS, I see how amazing you all are on a day-to-day basis, but not everybody sees that. And certainly during that sort of the first and second wave, I think everybody was able to sit up and go, wow, actually, they are doing such an amazing job all the time, not just at the moment. So from our point of view, you know, huge thank you for everything that, that you all did because it was it was really tough i imagine it was it was hard for you yeah it was a it was a huge team effort um but i have to say everybody stepped up to the plate and just got on with it you know there were no there was nobody who sort of says i don't really fancy going in i'm a bit worried of getting covid everybody turned up and just did what they had to do and that's incredible you know that that's a hard thing to have done like you say especially when at points you didn't know at the beginning how infectious it was and you know it was you know nothing but bad stories Mm. you know that's incredible that people were able to keep going and have there been any sort of opportunities that have arisen have you kind of done things differently and thought actually this is a better way of doing it i think we've definitely done a few things uh, more efficiently during covid Um, we've adapted a lot of the meetings for example where we always in the old days pre-covid used to sit in a room and sometimes for three or four hours, on a, typically on a Friday, discussing every new case that came in. Nowadays, we do that via Teams. Um, and like in, you know, across many industry sectors, uh, the online virtual team um, concept has taken off massively. And it's, it's been fantastic uh, use of time. It's mm. been much more efficient. No, that's great. And, I mean, obviously, we know that referrals dropped during that point. I mean, do you think that was because people were frightened to to present with any lumps and bumps because they didn't want to go into hospital? Did you have you seen much evidence of that? Yeah, for sure, our referrals were were well down on what they should have been. Uh, obviously, the number of sarcomas hasn't changed. There are still out people out there with probably undiagnosed sarcomas. I think people were frightened to come to hospital. People were probably uh, found it harder to go to their GPs Mm. and um, people I think just stayed at home locked down and we didn't know how long no one knew how long it was going to go on for Um, but yeah there will definitely be some people out there who have been diagnosed much later than they would have been yeah and that's really unfortunate isn't it and and do you think that there is a a sign that that orthopaedic care is returning to some kind of normality or we've got the no, backlog so. that, that comes with the last? I think um, 
the, well, the problem now, of course, is the backlog. But I think day to day, it feels pretty normal. We're back in operating theatres. Uh, the number of cases we're doing per day is pretty much the same. We're still all wearing PPE and taking precautions. But I think no one's as scared. Most of us have been immunised. So we're just getting on with it. Um, the problem, I think, is tackling this backlog, which is going to be big. And for elective surgery patients, for example, needing hip or knee replacements, they're going to have to wait a long time. Well, I think at this point we'll go for your first song because we're going to, to this ties in really nicely with the next sort of thing I'd like to speak to you about. So um, the, the first song you're going to choose for us is... It's Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Okay, we'll listen to the song and then you can tell us your story afterwards. Okay. So that was Take My Breath Away by Berlin. And what made you choose that song for us? So that's a very old song now. Um, The reason I chose that song is because at the time, I'd just retaken my A-levels to get into medical school didn't go so well the first time around played a bit too much sport at school um and to show enthusiasm to the medical school ucl where i was trying to get into i took a job working in the laundry department of a hospital in central london which was a very early start half six start um half three in the afternoon finish and i got the results from my retakes by phone while in the laundry department uh, at, at this hospital and I couldn't really celebrate there and then, um, but I made a few phone calls home and then got back to Putney Bridge Tube Station, which is uh, near where I was living, got in my little Renault 5, tiny little car, um, had a sardine can roof. I drove over Putney Bridge on the way home, and this was the song that came on as I was driving over Putney Bridge with a nice sunny day. And um, this was really me just thinking, this is amazing, this is the you know career sorted, rest of my life mapped out um mission accomplished and this song came on and it's uh, always brought back that memory ever since i mean that is an incredible song to play at that moment yeah Yeah. that's one of those moments you're going to remember i I will it was a a long night after that (laughs) so why did you choose to be an orthopedic surgeon it sounds like medical school was something you were always intent on but how did you actually get into the orthopedic side of it Yes, actually, before, even before medical school, I, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a surgeon. My mother was a scrub nurse, and every now and again, um, in school holidays and stuff, when she was working and there was no one at home, she took me in to the hospital where she was working. I used to sit in the surgeon's coffee room, making airfix models, amongst other things. And at the end of the day, sometimes the surgeon would say, "Do you fancy, you know, a trip around the operating theatre?" So I, I was kind of the seed was sown very early on. I didn't know that. And so surgery was very much. Uh, what I wanted to do, I used to go to um, lectures at the Royal College of Surgeons, you know, as as a teenager. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was the career choice. Luckily, I got through medical school and uh, was able to get on a surgical rotation. When it, the orthopedic bit, um, I had, didn't know what, that I wanted to do orthopedics at that point. And you're kind of at the mercy of the the, the heads of department who decide you're going to do six months plastic surgery, six months orthopedic, six months general surgery in these hospitals all over, sort of southeast of England and you sort of get inspired by certain surgeons you get to know the type of operations they do the lifestyles they lead the personalities they are Um, and I was very lucky that um, UCL had a very strong orthopaedic department I applied for the rotation um, 
got the London rotation based at Stanmore and um, you know the rest is history really I've been you know, obviously doing it ever since and the sarcoma side of that then does that is that just part of your training and then you think actually I'm really interested in that and that's what I want to focus on or do you, is it more kind of that the, the people that are training you think you'd be really good for sarcomas how does that I think it's a bit of both I mean I, th- I think it's did, did, you know did I choose orthopedics and sarcoma or did they did that choose me and I think you know I was lucky uh, Professor Bentley was the head of the rotation and he said I think you should go and spend six months with um, Tim Briggs and Steve Cannon so I did their firm I liked what they did I loved cancer medicine generally the operation was really interesting they were two great blokes who are really good to spend time with fantastic teachers um we i did a bit of research with them went to some interesting international meetings and then it just became something that i just thought this is what i want to do um i then went on a fellowship to sydney for a year to work with another chap called paul stalley who's another inspirational surgeon and leader and uh you know the re- I just ended up, um, I came back, they like me, I like them, a job came up, I applied, and th- that's it, that's sort of what are. I've been doing since 2004. That's amazing. And we're talking a lot about sarcoma, and I guess for some people listening, they won't know what that actually is, so could you give us a really easy to understand yeah, version? So sarcomas are uh, tumours of connective tissue, basically, they're not tumours of organs like kidneys lungs that sort of thing they are tumours of bone or soft tissue including blood vessels nerves um connective tissue connecting the two uh, really really rare mm. less than one percent of cancers are sarcomas um typically affect young patients so teenagers and adults it's sort of teenagers and young adults um most people just most doctors don't see sarcomas during their career and most people don't know anyone who's ever had a sarcoma because they are so rare yeah i know that there's been a a lot of work around sort of raising awareness because it is so hard to diagnose and i think there's a a sort of stat that says a gp might only ever see one case in the whole of their career so like you say it is it is rare um and how important is it if somebody has a lump or bump that they get it checked out and try and get that dealt with early I think it's very important to get it checked out. You know, most lumps and bumps will turn out to be benign, non-cancerous lumps. But if you have a lump that is um, getting bigger or becoming painful or shows any skin discoloration, the safest thing is just go to your GP. Nowadays, um, there is a pathway in place for GPs to very uh, quickly diagnose these things. Um, usually the first step for, step for a soft tissue lump would be an ultrasound, then often an MRI scan. And for a potential bone tumour than an x-ray and that would all be done here at the rnoh well initially done by the gp the yeah. ultrasound or the x-ray and then if the result is abnormal then referral here okay and i think people don't think that children actually would be diagnosed with this type of of cancer i think it, they don't think it perhaps is, is a, a cancer that a child would get but you do see children don't you with with these sorts of yeah so bone tumours tend to occur in teenagers and young adults um there are, there are two main well, three main types osteosarcoma chondrosarcoma and ewing sarcoma and it just happened that those tumors just occur in people who have growing skeletons 
We don't know any risk factors for them. It's not related to lifestyle or diet or um, injuries. It's just one of those bad luck things that happen. Yeah. Oh, and it is, I, I mean, it must be really difficult when you're, you're having to give that news to parents. Because I know with one of your patients, with Charlie, um, his, he was really young when he was diagnosed. Yeah. He was about 18 months or something. Um, so that must be a really difficult job to have to talk through with, with parents, with, with any patients. So how do you kind of deal with the stress of this job? Like, What do you do to unwind, if you like, or to shake it off at the end of the day? What, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the, this kind of job does suit certain personalities and it's not for everybody because it is stressful and you do need broad shoulders to cope with everything that the job throws at you both the emotional side of it and the physical the demanding side of it of doing difficult operations well um my own um way of unwinding is exercise so my the thing i probably prefer doing more than anything else is going for a run with a dog at the weekend 10 or 15k in the uh in the chess valley in the chilterns um i get a run he gets a swim and then that'll wear we, him out for the get, day then as well. That'll yeah, we both get a bit of headspace. <laughs> um, Does he talk much, the dog? Not or? much, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you probably quite like the peace and quiet. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay, well, I think if we go on to another song then, um, I think the next one is by Baz Lerman. Do you want to introduce this song? That's right. Uh, this is a song that I first heard just before I got married, actually, even though it's a much older song than that. And it's very much a um, song about lifestyle and about quality of life and about the things away from work and um, making sure, I think it's so important nowadays to look after yourself as well as work hard. And this is a few, this, this is a good song with a few lessons in life. Okay, here we go. Everybody's free to wear sunscreen, sunscreen by Baz Luhrmann. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. Trust me on the sunscreen. That was Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen by Baz Luhrmann. You're listening to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli. So, Mr Pollock, once you've actually operated and removed a sarcoma... Is that then tested and, and is some research done on that um, once, that's ha- once you've removed the, the, the tumour? Yeah, definitely. So once we've removed the tumour, it's uh, sent to our lab here on site at Stanmore. Um, and we're looking at the margins of excision. We're making sure the whole thing is out completely without leaving anything behind. Um, but we're also looking at the cells themselves. And in addition to that, we take the patient's own blood in a lot of, patient, in a lot of cases and we're looking for genetic mutations in the tumour, trying to get as much information as we possibly can, looking right inside the, the tumour, the, the DNA makeup of it. Um, at the moment, this is a research project. We're, what we're trying to do is identify tumours that can potentially in the future be uh, treated in a much more unique, patient-specific way with targeted drugs, targeted treatment. Uh, and I think that's, that hopefully will be the future of sarcoma treatment moving forward. And that's something that SCT has given money to in the past um, and continues to support going forward. So I think that's a really good uh, example of the kind of work that you can support if, you, if you're involved with a charity like the Skeletal Cancer Trust. And how has technology t- transformed your role in, in recent years? And, and can you see 
where that will go in the future? Yeah, a few things have changed. Um, when you think about sarcoma surgery, this, this, this obviously the goals are pretty clear. You, you want to save the patient's life first. If you can, you want to save the limb as well, which it, thankfully in most cases we can do. But there's always a trade-off. You, in, in the terms of surgery, you have to completely remove the tumour with a covering of normal tissue but that of course is quite a disabling thing quite a destructive thing to do to somebody and then you want to reconstruct that limb as best you can using a combination of bone grafts and implants and moving muscles around plastic surgery sometimes as well and there's this trade-off the wider the margin you take the tumour out with the more destructive you are the worse the function the closer to the tumour you are potentially the less normal tissue you've had to remove and the better the function afterwards so one of the um, technological advances uh, coming up is is the world of um, robotic surgery and also using patient-specific cutting guides. So when, for example, you're taking a bone tumour out, you can plan the operation really accurately beforehand by doing MRI scans and CT scans, merging the two together, using 3D printing to plan exactly where you want to cut the bone and then really accurately doing it. Um, so you're taking less normal tissue trying to preserve um, joints so for example if you had a tumour that was going very close to someone's knee joint in the past we'd have had to just take the whole knee joint out and replace it and a knee replacement in a young patient never works nearly as well as a a normal knee and of course with all the moving parts involved it wears out and has to be redone but if you can spare the joint if you can spare the knee by doing this very accurate very precise surgery using this modern technology you have better initial function but also an implant that doesn't doesn't wear out it's got no moving parts that's amazing it's so the that's, future that's the future yeah that's, that's the, the kind future. of direction we're heading in gosh that's really interesting and i think you know for patients listening to this i know with everybody i've ever um worked with on the fundraising side have always said i want to give towards anybody else who ever has sarcoma i want it i want the journey to be easier and better for them so i guess Again, that's another example of supporting a charity like this that could be involved in that research and involved in getting us closer to that point sooner, really. So that's that's really good. And we've talked a lot about the actual operation, um, but of course you are one part of a multidisciplinary team. So there are a whole heap of people around you who are also taking care of a patient and getting them through their journey and, and helping them on the other side. So could you just tell us a little bit about the sort of people that would be involved in the treatment of somebody with sarcoma? Yeah, so, I mean, this goes all the way back to the moment the the phone call or the email or the letter arrives in the uh, sarcoma unit. So we have a very busy MDT office handling up to 120 referrals a week, Um, some of whom will end up having sarcomas, some will um, not have sarcomas, but initially they all get treated the same on a really rapid pathway. So This is the two-week... The two-week wait. Wait, yes. So um, these referrals have to all be dealt with. We uh, sit down as consultants every day now looking at all these referrals. We are heavily dependent on our radiology colleagues um, to report the imaging and tell us which ones are worrying and which ones aren't. We have a whole load of people in the MDT office um, planning the the patient's initial pathway Often they need extra tests, MRI scans, CT scans, ultrasounds, biopsies. Um, so that it's a huge logistical operation to get this pathway going as fast as possible um, to diagnose or exclude sarcoma as quickly as we can for 
these patients. Then, of course, there are the surgeons, the anaesthetists, the clinical nurse specialists, the clinic staff, the ward staff, theatre staff have particular expertise. So the, the team of people looking after uh, the patient with sarcoma is absolutely huge, very multidisciplinary. And then, of course, you've got the physio then on the other side of that. So when that person is able to get up and about, and, and I think I'm right in saying that you want people kind of up and moving as quickly as you possibly can get them. Um, and I think another piece of work that, that SCT are involved in is around musculoskeletal care and, and how people can go on to live their life to their best after their operations um, and a piece of work that Craig Durand is working on. Um, how important is that, do you think, for, for, for the actual patient's lived experience? It's absolutely crucial. And the physios, uh, I should have mentioned earlier on, they, they're they really specialist physios and OTs, in fact, as well, because you've often done very unique, very complicated surgery, um, quite destructive, as I said, and also sometimes very complicated soft tissue reconstructions. And unless you have a physio who understands what you've done, um, either the rehab will be too slow um, or it will be inappropriate uh, and you'll overdo it too quickly and, and sort of potentially damage the soft tissue reconstruction so they're absolutely crucial what's also crucial though is understanding how good or bad we really are um, comparing ourselves to other Mm. units so outcome measures are absolutely essential previously the tools to measure how well or not patients did were there were very limited questionnaires can you walk around a block do you use a stick do you take painkillers do you like or not like the look of your leg or arm very very crude ways to do it and now we've got a whole um, research team here um, led by Craig and Sharon looking at outcome measures and you know doing simple things like putting Fitbits on people so so you can measure how, you know how many steps is someone actually taking on their proximal tibial replacement reconstruction for example and of course that will be totally different from one person to the next and how active they were before their operation and before this you know diagnosis so yes it is really interesting and I think it's another great bit of work that SCT is involved in and just to kind of just briefly touch on something you said there about the unit um there are five cancer centers aren't there in the the whole of is that the whole of the uk or is that just bone cancer center yeah yeah. um and what area does does this hospital actually cover for for bone cancers yes so we're there are two big units in the uk the london unit and the birmingham unit are the two biggest um and the london unit has a capturing population of about 20 million so the whole of uh, Kent and southeast, all the way down across to about Southampton, and then East Anglia up to Norwich, and then the home sort of Perry M25 counties. Yeah, that's so a big. It's a big it's area. A big area. Yeah. It's a, as you say, heavily populated area as well. I always find that just quite incredible how far-reaching we are for for patients. How far we'll, we'll, we go? Um, well, I think. As we've covered, there are quite a few um, pieces of research that SCT is involved in. But would you say that sarcoma is underfunded, actually, in terms of research, compared to, say, some of the other cancers? What do you think yeah, about uh, that? It feels like it. Um, and I think the reason is simply people just don't haven't really heard of sarcoma because it's so rare. No one really knows anyone who's had it, and the, G, you know, the, the, G, the medical community isn't really that familiar with it. Um, and we don't really have a really nice, famous person who's flying our flag for us. You know, um, a lot of charities have got um, huge traction and, you know, um, huge fundraising capabilities. Um, 
and so we're a bit behind on that because just we're it's just a very unusual cancer not many mm. people know about it yeah um well obviously there are many ways for people to get in touch with sct um if you've been listening today and you've been diagnosed with a sarcoma or you know someone who has and you want to get involved um then you can certainly visit our website which is www skeletalcancertrust.org and all of the ways you can get in touch with us are there we're also on instagram facebook twitter so there's plenty of ways to get in touch if you need to so i think we'll have another song now um and i think we're going to go for something by the red hot chili peppers am i right that would be good uh, so this song by the way is a song that takes me back to heli skiing in whistler in canada many years ago with my brother so one of the things that I like doing in my spare time to get away from it all is is skiing now much more with the family not heli skiing so much Um, but this was a day we had heli skiing in an old Huey helicopter in Whistler with my brother and a few mates uh, and the the guys put a video together afterwards and this was the song that was played while you know watching us skiing standing in line to see the show tonight and there's a lighting fall So that was, by the way, by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to the SCT Hour on Radio Broccoli. So you are a trustee of SCT, and I would say that you are a very active member of the board. Um, You raise a lot of money for us. Um, You're very good at championing our cause and telling your patients all about us. So you mentioned um, just now that that song reminds you of your brother. And of course, I've met your brother because he very kindly uh, joined you in a fundraiser, uh, the half marathon that that you did in London, the the, um, London Landmarks half marathon. So can you tell us a bit more about the sort of challenges that you've taken part in so far? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, everyone offers different things to scat and contributes in different ways. I'm not a great researcher. I like I put my patients in for research projects, but my main the main contribution, I guess, is trying to is trying to fundraise, and I do it simply by exercising. So, my my passion in my spare time is exercising. So, when I'm not running with a dog, I'm cycling through the Chilterns up and down the hills, um, or I'm open water swimming. And then, obviously, combining all all those three disciplines, you end up with triathlons. And I started. Um, just on a whim really thinking actually it'd be quite fun to try a triathlon and I did um, an Olympic distance one which is quite a small distance the Windsor one which um, most people are a bit scared of the swimming which is the thing that I think I was least good at and the swim is known as a down a downhill swim basically you go with the Thames um, for most of it so it's an easy one and then I enjoyed it and then got a bit more heavily involved and did a few more and the distances get longer and longer and I finally did the uh, a full Ironman in Mallorca in 2016, yeah. which was a tough day out. That that was incredible because I think I think it, we need to talk a little bit about that because what I love about that is didn't you start off you, you lost like a stone or something in weight just doing that that Ironman? Yeah, that, that was after <laughs> after the event. Yeah, yeah, in one day. Uh, tell us about it because what is that? I mean, that's you've got to have some serious head space to to be able to get yourself through something like that i i my mind would go just even thinking about it how do you do it yeah well the training the train the training's tough i think the first thing is actually committing you you know you're on the website uh, thinking of applying and you know it's not it's about 400 quid to apply to these things and so it's not a small amount of money so when you before you just click the thing you think you're thinking do i really want to do this do i really want to put myself through this is it fair on my family have i got time you know it's going to be a massive um 
amount of time away from life just just training 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 to to get through it and then you have these little doubts in your head am i actually going to be able to do it you know yeah um anyway you did i couldn't resist it so i did it um family supported me and said yeah okay go for it so remind us what, what do you do first do you run first no run like swimming swimming first swimming first yeah it's a four kilometer swim four kilometers okay then it's 180k on a bike yeah and then it's after you finish that mm. then you run a full marathon just i hope everyone is shaking their head as much as i am listening to this so yeah so it's a long it's a long day out but you raised it an enormous amount of money yeah the training but the training um if you train hard enough yeah i did i mean it's it's a life-changing thing to do so i put the word out told everyone said come on it's not about me this is about sct you've got to support me doing this this is a this is a big commitment Uh, and all my family my friends patients relatives um, I'd, I had posters around the hospital. Everyone was incredibly generous. Yeah, it was amazing. The support that you got was incredible. I was really very pleased because that was the first year I was here. So I didn't know, you know, who would do what and what people would get involved in. And then there's you doing this. I was like, oh, okay, I think this is going to be all right. I think he's, uh, he's going to do this. It's going to be amazing. Um, and no regrets? No, no regrets at all. I think one of the ways that I, I saw it at the time was that, you know, it, when you're when you're training and it's it's cold and it's wet and it's dark um it's horrible sometimes and you just don't feel like going out but the pain of training and the pain of the event is nothing compared to a cancer patient having nine months of chemotherapy and having really horrendously complex surgery which is painful long rehab um periods you know for, for some of these cancer patients nine months away you know although there's light at the end of the tunnel it's a very very long tunnel and um, the pain that you feel when you're running or, or cycling or swimming is nothing compared to um, what a pa- cancer patient is going through. And that was my motivation the whole way, whole way through. That's amazing that you think that as well. Yeah, I, I, I have absolute admiration. I think that's a really there incredible are, There are two mantras. Do. The Iron Man two mantras. One is never give up, which is a good one for a cancer patient. Just never give up. And the other is anything is possible. So if you put your mind to it, you can do it. And I think, you know, I, I know some of the, the people that you've treated um, and I think they absolutely get that from you, that you would not, you're not going to give up on them. You are going to get them through as much of, of it as you are able to help them with. And, you know, everybody that I speak to who will talk about you will use words like the hero, the legend, you know, and I think it's... I don't know if you know that. Do you know that that's what people think about you? I've not heard that, no. That's quite humbling. I think um, cancer care in this setting, when you're doing complex operations on people, it's, it's a partnership. It's you and the patient together on the same journey. It's not just not a them and us thing. And you get to know families pretty well. Yeah, I bet. You, you form you know, quite close relationships with them sometimes. Um, and I, I tell my, um, my team you know, cheesy expressions like, you know, when you've when you've um, done as much as you can for a patient then you do a bit more you know go the extra mile which is a very much a Cannon Briggs expression yes I bet leave everything on the pitch which is a sporting expression which means give everything you possibly can um, while, you're tr- while you're treating these patients leave no stone unturned at all yeah. you just give absolutely everything so that you and they know that um, however their, whatever their outcome is absolutely everything has been tried oh and I think they do know that certainly that is the feedback that I get from people. So, you know, I'm sure they would want me to say thank you because you do great things. 
So are there any other challenges that you would like to undertake? Have you got anything on the calendar this year for us? Yeah, I did have um, an amazing event. Um, it's called the Alpsman Half Ironman Distance event. Uh, but unfortunately it just got cancelled because of covid so i'll have to do that next year now that was a lake annecy swim a mountain bike ride and then a, ma- a half marathon up a mountain you start at the bottom of the mountain finish on top so that uh, in beautiful surroundings I, I i i don't know the surroundings would have to be some seriously beautiful <laughs> surroundings for me to have to even think about doing something like that so how important do you think a charity like sct is i think it's absolutely vital because sarcoma is uh, a, a subject, uh, a condition that is largely unknown. We have to start breaking barriers down and pushing frontiers a bit. Um, and there just isn't enough public money in research and innovation. And um, without charities like SCT, we, we'd just be way behind. Um, so I think we just need, you know, SCT is, is providing an absolutely vital role, not only in improving quality of lives of, uh, of these sarcoma patients, but also research and without this research particularly on the um the genomes project is, is absolutely crucial yeah i agree um and are there any patient stories that you can share with us so anybody you can kind of paint a picture of of what it's like to be a sarcoma patient or to treat a sar- sarcoma patient well the, of course you know in the last 16 years i've treated a lot of sarcoma patients but some you know there's a few that stick in the mind as being either very unique families or having very unique unusual conditions um i can tell you about a couple uh, perhaps one one little boy called charlie who was very very young when he developed a ewing sarcoma of his whole femur um and initially we thought we'd have to remove his whole leg at the level of the hip which was obviously a very dramatic uh, devastatingly life-changing thing to have to do to somebody they don't, we don't make implants small enough to take someone's whole femur out at that age and do any kind of meaningful reconstruction. But there is an operation that is done um, in other parts of the world. Uh, the Indian subcontinent have surgeons particularly good at it, um, and the Dutch are very good at it. It's called the rotation plasty. And so what we did with, with young Charlie was we, we took his whole femur out. Um, we, were mani- we managed to spare the main blood vessels and the main nerves to his lower leg, so although he had no thigh bone at that point, his foot and ankle still worked normally. So we then twisted his leg round by 180 degrees um, and put the top of his tibia, his shin bone, into where his hip joint is and made his ankle into a knee joint, bending up and down that like a normal amazing. knee. amazing. And it was a really difficult consultation. Of course, you know that if you imagine the parents of this young child who first of all get told... Your, ch- your son has cancer and then get told and the only way we can cure him is to do this pretty unusual pretty unique pretty difficult to get your head around kind yes. of operation so we um, spoke to other patients who had had similar operations we tried to get as much um, contact with other families who had been through the same thing um, eventually we did do it and we flew a surgeon over from Holland to uh, come and help us do it oh wow it went really well we got the tumor out he responded amazingly well to chemotherapy and since then he's just been the the most incredible um young man he is now uh plays f- football to a very high level he does yes um and he's you know that's just w- uh, he's someone who um he's a very special young man and so are his family yeah and i think you know there's a, a lovely picture on our website um of charlie 
and he's got all of his legs, his prosthetic legs, lined up in a row. And you can see from the smallest ones he's got to the the most current ones what he was interested at that time. So one's got minions on it. I think one's got, I don't know, Buzz Lightyear or something. So you can see as he's gone through his, you know, from age two to... I think he's 12 now, maybe. Um, you can see all the different things he's been interested in. It's a, it's a really lovely photo, and they're an absolutely amazing family. And I think they are in awe of you. So they are, they are wonderful. Um, is there anybody else, anyone else you want to mention or any other type of... Yeah, of course, I have to mention Ellis, special Ellis, who's, um, I think, a patient who has touched me more I think than just about anyone else not just in the last 16 years as a consultant probably in my whole medical career she was a young girl with her whole life ahead of her um, and she was diagnosed with primary bone cancer in her thigh bone requiring the gruelling period of chemotherapy and surgery to take out the tumour and reconstruct her leg and you know the the, the operation actually wasn't that technically demanding and you know it was very successful in that she you know she had very good function but unfortunately her cancer spread uh, and she lost her life at a young age um, and it was absolutely devastating of course for her family and and friends um, but you know we were all devastated too Um, and her family um, Peter and Nikki Clark have um, coped incredibly well but not only have they coped with losing their precious daughter and and Billy their other daughter um, her sister they've done more for SCAT than I think any other single family uh, in terms of fundraising and raising awareness um, and supporting us through cycling events through golf days through numerous other activities uh, and they've thrown their heart and soul into um, the Skeletal Cancer Trust um, and they're a very, very special family and we're, we're hugely indebted to them. And Ellis's memory lives on and lives strong. Yes, I would totally agree. And I think from all of us at SCT, we have a huge thank you to say to, the Ellis's, to Ellis's family, to the Clarks. So I asked um, Ellis's sister, Billy, if she would pick a song for you. And she has picked a song that is really uplifting, really fun says everything about Ellis and says everything about you and that is ELO Mr Blue Sky That was ELO Mr Blue Sky and that was a dedication for Mr Pollock from Billy Clark This is the SCT Hour and you're listening to Radio Broccoli So I just need to say a huge thank you to you Mr Pollock for your time today and for just an incredible insight into what it's like to be an orthopaedic surgeon uh, and what it's like to work here at, at the RNOH. You do an amazing job. Thank you from everybody I know and please keep going. Don't ever leave us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure spending the last hour with you and um, we'll, we'll certainly keep, keep going. Thank you very much. Big thank you again to Mr Rob Pollock for giving us an hour of his very precious time. If you want to find out more about the work that our great charity does, then please visit our website, which is www.skeletalcancertrust.org. You can also find us on all the usual social media channels, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So we asked Charlie's mum to recommend a song for the last part of this section. 
that she thinks sums him up. Now, she just said anything with the word legend in it. Uh, we did look for a song that would live up to that legendary status, um, but we found something that we thought was a bit more fitting. And it's Superstar by Jamelia. Superstar. 